Eye in the Terror that Flaps in the Night, Darkwing Duck. <laughs> Two. Fucking Darkwing Duck, are you serious? Bro, where do you get these things, man? Where do you where do, where does this come from? Oh, I love it. I love it. Greetings and salutations, and welcome to Hacker Slash. If you're joining us again, welcome back. Where the hell did you come from? If this is your first time listening, welcome to the party. We are a horror movie review podcast dedicated to telling you whether a movie is a hack. Total joke. A waste of time. Or a slash. Totally killer. Pun intended. We believe horror is for everyone, and as such, we're rating these movies with the perspective we've gained from our varying walks of life and the flavor of fear we fancy most. My name is Chris. I'm your friendly neighborhood slasher enthusiast. This week, I'm joined by the super fly space guy, Mac. I know what a brothel is. The classic horror connoisseur, Sean. The sooner we eat them, the less shit I have to clean up. And the paranormal paramour, Binks. A boat without rats? Such a thing is against nature. This week, we're venturing once more into the foggy world of Dracula by checking out a newly released film that pulls directly from one chapter of Bram Stoker's novel. Navigating treacherous waters from the shadowy realm of Carpathia to the foggy coast of London, a crew finds themselves wrestling with a growing suspicion that the cargo they carry might be more sinister than they ever imagined. Ready your sea legs, listener, because this week we're talking about the last voyage of the Demeter. What were you all expecting going into this one? Man, I could tell you, if I'm not mistaken, this film is basically revolving around Chapter 7 of Bram Stoker's Dracula, right? So, which is filled with excerpts from various journals, notes, the Demeter's logs, right? It, it will be really interesting to see what they can do with this one chapter and make it beefy enough for a feature film length of content. Because there is a lot to work with from that chapter, I'm just really hoping for this to set the right ambiance and really bring to life what I have always envisioned this to look like. But at the same time, even though there's a lot of substance to fill when it comes to what was actually happening each night to those crew members on the ship, it just has to be handled with such care. I'm just really curious to see. So expectations are just, I don't even know what to expect because how could you make a whole film off of one chapter of a novel when literally everyone else has made an entire film off of the entire novel or tried to go off on their own and did something else like an origin story or something, you know, more modern or or something like that, right? Well, that's why I kind of expected for them to just use it as a foundation. And then I went into this, you know, watch thinking, okay, well, this is just going to be the the baseline. Everything else that I'm probably about to see is just going to be like whatever they came up with. It has to be because even in the chapter, it's not like they even mentioned crew members' names or anything like that. So I was just so curious. I was like, you know, what are they really going to do? I completely agree with just a log within a chapter of a book that is always adapted, a whole book. So definitely was excited. Another thing I was kind of expecting and a little bit worried about was CGI because, you know, you see the trailer, you can tell we're going to see Dracula in his true form. Mm -hmm. And so that had me a little bit nervous. I figured it would be decent based on what I saw, but I don't know. I was, we only see a little bit, right? So I was like, I don't know. What are they going to do? Am I really going to buy into it? But that was the main thing aside from story. You know, I think that the trailer gives a good bit away and we see, of course, Dracula in the trailer and he's giving very much Nosferatu. There's like a, a still of Nosferatu on a ship 
And for some reason, that's what I read the trailer as. It's like that one still. But it also, I don't know, we we see the creature and it kind of looks like the sire from what we do in the shadows. Yes. Right? And so I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling kind of a mixture of both in, in watching this trailer. So I figured if they're going to show that much in the trailer, most movies are about Dracula. They're following him very closely. This movie is not going to be like that because we're seeing so much and he looks so gnarly that that can't be the case here. It's got to be about the crew. Yeah. Well, that makes sense because the chapter in the novel doesn't give you a whole lot of Dracula. It's very much suspenseful, Mm -hmm. right? It's very much of what's happening, very hyper-focused on what the crew is feeling, right? It's very hyper-focused on just the the demeanor of the crew and them not knowing what's happening and getting little tidbits of what's happening. So that does make sense to your point. Which is really interesting because this movie is made on the premise of potential. Mm -hmm. We get so little of the actual detail besides the gleanings that you have from what they find and then what the captain had the wherewithal to write in the captain's log. But I couldn't help but feel like this is going to go one of two directions. Either it's going to be kick-ass or it's going to feel like a horror version of the Titanic where you're walking in (laughs) knowing that it's doomed. You know what I mean? Yes. Okay, we already know how it ends. So they got to give us a really compelling, really interesting ride to make it feel like it's worthwhile. Now, Titanic did that with a love story in classism. So what is the Demeter going to do for us? And I was really really expecting for them to go in a very chronological kind of order. I was actually curious thinking about this. Okay, I've read Dracula. I've seen a lot of Dracula material. I wonder how many people are experiencing this film without that context, knowing, okay, it's a Dracula movie. But I was just talking a little while ago. I met someone recently who knows Dracula from Hotel Transylvania, bro. Right. Like he doesn't know any actual dracula content besides the being the blah 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 guy yep so could he go into this movie and understand what it's going to be or is it going to be a wildly different ride for him so i found that when i was watching this movie i was feeling really really entertained also there's like this really cute moment where there's a very significant event that happens within this chapter in the book and it gives it a certain date and that is today's date as we're recording this this movie's release date lines up with this event in the book, which I thought was like a really cute play on the timeline. I felt really entertained. I felt really grim, but also surprised with some of the choices that they made. I, I gotta say, feelings wise, I, I enjoyed the narratives throughout the film where they were kind of giving you the excerpts from the novel itself, which I thought was was a good kind of layer that they put in there. I didn't feel the same level of dread and hopelessness that I did from the novel, not from the crew members on the ship, maybe towards the end, but it just didn't hit the same for me. I did feel this was tapping into a different type of horror than Dracula usually gets. They really tried to, because I think that they were deriving everything from this one chapter, that they really tried to incorporate really the jump scares, which honestly makes sense given the part of the novel that they are deriving the story from, but it just felt like they were giving you a different type of horror than we're used to seeing Dracula in, and or at least just really focused on that one aspect of Dracula. This is Apex Predator Dracula. It is. This isn't charismatic, rich guy Dracula who's hiring an attorney and stalking the former love of his life. This thing is just a monster. Yeah, this is really like a creature feature in a way. 
right? And so when you're watching it, you sometimes expect, of course, when you're watching a Dracula movie to see the charming Dracula, but you don't get that feeling here at all. And so it's, it's almost like we're watching a wild animal that's unleashed, which is pretty interesting because we get to really focus on the other people on the ship. And, and I think when watching it, it was, it's actually kind of great because it gave the actors, I think, a lot of room to try to go into some depth with their characters, which is a, a compelling watch, to be honest, because I think if we just went shallow with them, this would have been a really boring creature feature. It would have been like piranha or something. So it was nice to actually like get into some of the minds of some characters, whether or not they survive, which actually that like that was a great surprise, which is like we know what happens to the ship. We don't know what happens with every character though. And so they really let us like get to know each of the characters, no matter how small and kind of get in tune with them and feel for them if something does happen. And I don't think you really expect that going into a vampire movie. No, you definitely do not. And I definitely resonate with everything that you guys have shared, but can I of course be a little bit funny and share something personal in terms of my viewing experience? I have to admit There was a brief moment there where I was actually kind of getting a little sleepy, which is crazy because I definitely saw this movie not around nighttime. But I realized it wasn't because of the movie. It was because I consumed a lot of theater snacks. And I bring this up because it is a testament to how invested I was in the film and like how it was making me feel that I wanted to fight sleep. Like I'm not already like, I'm not feeling super great. And so I was like, you know, I really want to see this movie. I'm invested like Bianca, do what you need to do to wake up, you know, theaters don't sell coffee. <laughs> and I think that says a lot. That says a lot about the movie. I, I I was feeling tense. I was feeling invested, despite like, you really not knowing what's going to happen to these characters per se, especially since we're diving deeper and going off of what I know in the chapter, we don't get that context. So there's that part. But I think also this kind of goes into what surprised me about this movie, which is the brutality, man. Let's get into it. Some of these kills I can't wait to get into later. Um, Some of the damage that's done. This movie had some moments where I cringed big time from the impact of some of these injuries and kills. And I think that's what really did the biggest number to like get me up and running because when it starts, it freaking starts. Yeah. And let me just say, I too was really sleepy watching this, not because of the movie, but because I've been up a long time today already. I'm going to be up a long time editing this episode and publishing it so that you listener can enjoy this on the Friday that this movie officially releases. But not falling asleep was largely in part to how menacing Dracula tended to feel in this movie. And honestly, really even more than Dracula, just the atmosphere of that. And it really dropped me back in to some moments I had when I was in my early 20s out to sea and just thinking about long corridors, something moves in the distance, what was it that was there? And I was on a ship with thousands of other people. So I had no reason to really even be that creeped out. But this this would have spooked me. And I think I was surprised how well it worked. You know, I mentioned earlier, is this going to be like Titanic? And Titanic really sells you on a love story and just like keeps you along for the ride. But I was really skeptical on whether or not I could feel a whole lot. You know what I mean? I went into this with pretty low expectations because I wanted to give it a chance to just feel fun. And I was surprised how much I felt because of that like sinister menacing nature. You know, there's, there's a lot of factors I think that contribute to that. And, and one of them is the set. 
I am a huge fan of 90s sci-fi TV shows. There's many that I love. And they made do they made a lot out of a little, to be honest. There was, you know, alien corridors that they would run through and then they would be cut so that it looked like they were running for miles. And in reality, there was like three different hallways that they built and they just kind of looped it. And we're talking about a crew on a ship in the middle of the ocean. There's nowhere to go. So for almost the entire film, we're in this one setting. But for some reason, you don't really think about it that much. It's not a limiting factor for the film. And that was a great surprise because I don't like being on boats. They make me feel sick. And I don't like the fact that I can't just get off and walk away on land. So I don't want to feel necessarily isolated on this as a viewer. I don't want to feel like, oh, man, I wish there was a little bit more to work with here. And I didn't. I didn't feel that the entire film. I really felt like they made the most out of a ship that you possibly could. Yeah, I think that's really great that you got that out of the film. I think for me, I don't know how much surprises there were. I'll get to that. I was a little disappointed in what I mentioned a few minutes ago, just disappointed in the way they were able to capture the emotions and the demeanor of the crew members on the ship or like the lack thereof for that matter, but it's it just the way the novel describes the situation. And I think this is what's that this is what really gets it for me is like the way the novel describes the situation, how it builds this ever growing sense of dread and hopelessness of the, as the men on the ship slowly descend into madness, right? Like that's what like, I just got so enthralled in the novel with, and I just didn't feel that same vibe from this movie and the way they 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 depicted it now don't get me wrong they did show emotion like there was stuff going on it's not like they just didn't give the a performance by any means it just wasn't the performance that i think i was expecting you know as someone that loves dracula as someone that loves the novel the classic horror connoisseur right like i love the og draculas so that was a little disappointing for me but i was honestly surprised that they added full-on characters into the mix i mean i i did expect them to have to fill in some gaps right but i guess i just didn't expect to see added characters well that's what i think i appreciate i think the addition of these characters really tricked me for a moment into thinking oh maybe this isn't going to go the way that you expect and i thought how could it possibly not go the way i expect we all know what the fuck this movie is about it starts a certain very particular way and i found that even to be really, really surprising. Just the approach to how they chronologically tell this story. It felt truer in some ways to the book than I expected it to. But I will say this, for as menacing as I found Dracula to be, as intense as the atmosphere was that I found an appreciation for, this is a very safe movie to take someone to who wants to get into horror, who wants to be like, but not like, if that makes sense. Like, if your friends are too scared to go see Talk to Me, take them to see this shit. Because you're going to get gore. You're going to get that brutality that Binks was talking about. But you're not going to get so scared out of your socks just being on a boat with a vampire. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. This film is very dark. It's very atmospheric. It really plays off the darker side of Dracula and tries to deliver on some jump scare tactics. But overall, I don't think there were super effective and didn't find this film to be super frightening despite how dark and gruesome some of these scenes really are so i see where you're coming from there like visually you're getting a really great horrific vibe of a film but is it actually frightening i don't think so okay 
leave it to me. But there is one particular moment, and I have to say it for my people that get that get me, right? Like there's one particular moment though where you might say, fuck that. You know what I mean? There is one. So you might have a moment or two of some jump scares or just like some really creepy stuff that might have you scream, ah, you know, just a little bit. But here's what I'm going to compare this to. This is kind of like the type of fear that you would equate to an intense thriller, maybe, or like a really like dark action film, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of vibe. Because there's going to be some moments that might kind of get you or just catch you off guard, but nothing like complete terrified. I agree. If your friends can't take talk to me, this is the movie to take them to instead. But there is one particular moment that I thought was like a, no, fuck that noise. No way on this planet. I can't wait to hear what that (laughs) moment is. But let me say that you mentioned it's more like an intense thriller for you. I think I put this movie, aside from it being a Dracula film and a classic universal monster, I think I put it in the same bucket that I would put the shipwreck movies in like the poseidon and thinking about like a tsunami that overturns a boat and then the boat is overturned and people have to climb up to the top of the boat and it's horrific in the sense that there is a lot of death but it's like a disaster movie level of of situation with a creature thrown in the mix which i find very interesting to walk away from this movie from i think there's something that ruins it in terms of fear and it's in the trailer it's dracula Dracula, I think, is what ruins the fear in this movie, because you can see from the trailer for the movie that they show a lot, like a lot, a lot. And they show that, I think, a little bit too often as well. They have some really great shots where there's shadows, there's shapes, there's like a mangled kind of visual of Dracula, and those are incredibly effective. And those probably should have been all we got. But instead, we see full-on CGI Dracula. And it's not bad CGI necessarily, right? But we see full-on CGI Dracula a little bit too early on, and so you already know what's going on here. And I think that should have been saved for much later because of the shots where we get this mangled kind of look or we get a figure moving through the shadows, those I think work in a more traditional horror sense, and I think those would be more effective at like giving you a little bit of a chill. I have to agree. I would say that to an extent, this movie takes the teeth out of Dracula in some very small moments, but then there are so many teeth on this fucker that <laughs> I can't literally say that and feel good about it. For as disappointing as I could have found Dracula to be in a couple moments, let me say that it redeemed itself with how it approached this story. Because there are elements that you would expect, and it's completely natural. This is a chapter from a book. We know this story. There's only really one direction it can go. And yet it still insisted on bobbing and weaving a couple moments. Yeah. I mean, you say that there's only one direction it can really go, and it kind of went off on its own direction to an extent. So we're going to talk about that. But is it purely original? No, because it is derived from a chapter or portion from the actual novel itself. But where it gets its originality from is how they fill in those gaps in what the novel did not describe to you. And for that, it takes some careful thought. And that, I think, is where the originality comes into play and where this film can shine in just how they can you know, kind of paint the picture for you. Because when you read that chapter, if anyone out there has read the, has actually read the novel, 
it doesn't give you a lot of the substance. It gives you what's going on. Like you, you get the gist of it, but you don't get the substance. And that's where this film has to be really creative. And so that's where the originality comes from, inevitably. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, rereading the chapter, it's like, there's really just a shell of, of something here. And what they did is they just filled in those gaps with the characters. The originality is all in the characters, in my opinion. And man, in my opinion, great job. Because I don't think it was too much either which way. I think it was just right. I mean, we'll get into some thoughts in just a quick second. But, you know, I, I think for the most part, they really did a great job of filling in those gaps with the characters and just like further building up on that great meal that is this chapter. Because it's a fun story. could have been a little bit shallow. It could have been like, all right. But they even like made some removals to the chapter that I can think of, you know, that I think just makes it just right more realistic in terms of the story. So I think a bravo job in terms of writing and what they did with this chapter that makes the whole story in Dracula fans kind of happy. At least I am. I mean, I don't know. That's probably a bold statement. I can just only speak for myself. I'm not going to talk for Sean. But I was I was super happy with how they did this chapter and, and it could have gone wrong so many different ways. Yeah, you know, th- this to me seemed like a really masterful riff on on a theme or something right so it's it's kind of like they they read the chapter right and they were like okay b flat minor great let's let's play a tune based on that and i think they were able to execute that well where it didn't it didn't have to fit a mold it didn't have to like match exact happenings and exact people's and you know names and everything even if they did they didn't really have to because i think when you say they filled in gaps i think they were able to craft a story and it was character based, the story. And I think that part was really, really well done. Yes, we know this is based on Dracula. As you mentioned, it's based on a chapter from Dracula, but like they didn't let that hold them back from telling a complete story with complete characters. Okay. This different approach that we're talking about, let me tell you that I think the most original thing I think it did was take this ending and combine three movies I can think of off the top of my head that are not <laughs> this movie or this book while still doing something different. And I can respect that. I liked the ending of this movie for some reason. And I don't know why I'm still really sorting this out for myself. And I can't wait to hear what our listeners think. I can't wait to hear what you all think. There was something in me that was trying to stifle and suppress a little bit of laughter at the very, very end. But I really love the direction that this movie goes. Like I have no complaints. I found it to be very, very satisfying. I don't know why, there's just this brief moment before the credits that I just couldn't quite take it 100% seriously. <laughs> I'm finding yeah. myself. I'm discovering myself. No, you aren't the only one. We all kind of felt it. It was a vibe. And I re- realize I just went on a whole tangent just now, but I'm going to like run it back just real quick and say, all. I still stand by everything I just said. I'm not full of shit. However, this ending was great. However, cheesy. I do have some small gripes and I, and I also have something that it reminded me of a television show that I will spoil later on. But this is also the moment, if I may, to once again speak something into existence like we just did for Talk to Me. It's giving sequel vibes and I don't know if I necessarily love that or not. So we never know. We never know if we really love that or not, you know? Exactly. You never know, but I'm just calling it here. And you might be thinking, well, Bianca, it is a chapter from a book. Yeah. Friends, watch the movie and come back to me. 
jump into our Discord because <laughs> honestly, I think we might be thinking two different things after that, you know? I'm so curious if they're going to make a sequel based on this because like you said, the ending feels that way. I was in my heart of hearts watching and waiting and hoping to see Gary Oldman show up at some point. Had we had that tie back, it would have been the cheesiest possible way to do things, but it would have made me so happy with nostalgia. I don't know why. That would have been the moment. The ending, I think, is actually, for me, one of the parts that I feel really good about in this film. I wasn't mad at the way they chose to take this ending. It made me feel like they were trying to tie in a particular character into the mix, if you know what I mean. And I don't know if that's aligning with what you're talking about, Chris. So I guess we're going to have to find out because, what do you say, two or three movies that it's tying in? Three movies. Three movies. Three movies that it's tying in. That's that's crazy. But I, I was really getting the vibe of a specific character happening or forming from the end of this movie, which I thought was an interesting direction for this film to go in. Not mad about it. Not mad about it by any means. It was definitely one of the things that I felt really good about, though. Well, it sounds like we've had some good and we've had some bad to say, but I can't wait to see how this shakes out in its ratings. Before we actually score this movie, though, Sean, how would you describe the gore score? Well, this one definitely had its gore. Although not super plentiful, I would say, it did have some pretty good-looking blood and some graphic shots that should earn itself a solid medium gore score. And what about the animal report? I just want to say, and I don't mean to be mean, but if you think that this animal report would be safe in a Dracula film, you're delirious. Absolutely. You're absolutely delirious. It is very much fucked. You're going to see some things. So prepare yourself. Prepare your stomachs a little bit as well. Well, let's go ahead and get into our ratings then. The Last Voyage of the Demeter, now showing in theaters, was it a hack or a slash? This movie surprised me, truthfully. And it's not that I expected to not like it, but more that I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. In comparison to other Dracula content we've gotten this year, no shade, I've already mentioned Renfield Plentiful today. This was a blast, honestly. It's brutal, it's inventive, but not too off the cuff. It took a chapter and it went like really, really to the depths of, I didn't even know what to expect with these characters. And I was expecting it to just be cheesy, like overall, like really bad cheesy. And it wasn't, it was like fun. I thought it was just really fun. I loved exploring these characters when we didn't really have that ability in the book. So I think it already set the bar pretty high just by doing that alone. But on top of that, you know, it's it's the visuals too that I really appreciated and I can't wait to get into in a bit. And I think it's something that even if you don't really know too much about Dracula, at least visually, you also will appreciate this film. And like you shared earlier, a great entryway for someone that's wanting to get into horror, but is terrified of like the more traditional horror stuff we've gotten this year. So honestly, as a vampire fan, I feel like there's no other way to go about this, but to give it a slash. Listen, I'm I'm glad you really enjoyed this film. I don't know if anyone out there is waiting to hear what I have to say. I imagine that people are waiting to hear what I have to say. And here's the thing. When you start messing around with classics, you have to be careful. This film for me, it's not it wasn't a bad film. They did a lot of really cool stuff. Visually it was really great. This film chose to make a feature-length film derived from basically a single chapter in Bram Stoker's novel, and with that, they had a lot of empty space to fill to accomplish this goal, and it chose to go in some directions that I enjoyed, and others that I didn't enjoy as much. They added 
some characters for substance, played around with the story, and even chose to change some actual things from the novel itself. Some were good. Some were bad. Look, I get it. But when you're talking to the classic horror connoisseur here, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't that great either. And I feel like if I'm going to watch a Dracula film, this won't be it. It's a hack for me. I respect that, though. I've never actually read Dracula. I don't know. I think I might be the only one here who has not read Dracula. And so I did not have that level of knowledge that you have going into this, right? Where I have no idea what's in that chapter because I've never read the book because I'm a heathen, apparently. So I approached this, I think, very differently. And I wanted to look for really good storytelling. And so in, in my eyes, if you're, if you, if you've got good storytelling, right? Where you're, let's say you're telling me a joke and you talk about a person, I don't know, walking into a bar. What color are their shoes? What do they have for breakfast? What have they gone through in life? What's going on with them mentally? Those are ridiculous levels of detail that you can get into, right? But it makes it so rich. And I think that's what we got here is they said, here's a small thing that we're going to take and we're going to extrapolate it. We're going to give you some more characters. We're going to give you some backstories to to those characters. We're going to have a set that is like so real feeling that you feel like you're in a completely different world or a completely different time. And I enjoy that. I think what we got here was good storytelling based off of a simple idea. Hey, let's take that chapter and let's make a whole movie about it. Were they tried and true and, and completely based on the book? Of course not, because which movie actually ever is. But I think what they did here is they gave us some characters. They gave us a good story. They put it all together with a beautiful set and they're able to say, let's make an enjoyable watch. And that's what I was looking for. Good storytelling, good characters, an enjoyable watch. So it's a slash. I didn't walk into this with exceedingly high expectations, partially because you know how this ends. And it poses the question, is having it all as good as getting it all? And for me, this movie is less about having it all and far more about the process of getting it all. It's the thrill of the hunt. It's the thrill of Dracula's hunt. And it also scratches this special itch in my brain that existed when I was out to sea and thinking about how shitty it would be if something were out there after you. And granted, I imagine this in the context of a zombie apocalypse and not an immortal vampire, but hey, tomato, tomato. The reality is that when you're out to sea surrounded by nothing, no one is coming for you. And to know that your days are numbered by being rationed off, that's chilling. And I think this movie did well enough to have some characters that you could root for, even if you don't completely give a fuck about them, even if you're waiting for them to die, it still makes it entertaining. And this movie, while dark, while bleak, while chaotic, it was still fun for me. So it's a slash. And with that, The Last Voyage of the Demeter from 2023 has earned three slashes and one hack. But that hack is coming from the classic horror connoisseur, so maybe you should rethink things. Now, you can catch this movie in theaters. Go check it out. Then join us in the spoiler zone so we can unpack this voyage together. We'll see you in a bit. Ever pondered why some sailors just seem luckier than others? No, it's not their nautical tattoos or charming sea shanties. It's because they're backed by Sink or Save Assurance LTD. Let's face it, voyages can be unpredictable. Rough seas, foggy nights, passengers who turn into bats, anything could happen. But with Sink or Save Assurance LTD, we've got your back or your neck. We offer premium coverage for ship damages, vanishing crew members, and of course, unexpected coffins with supernatural entities. 
Worried about the fine print? Don't be! We've kept it human-readable. No need for garlic or steaks. And the best part, our claims department works at lightning speed, especially during a full moon. So next time you're setting sail with a bunch of ominous crates or feeling a bit uneasy about that pale gentleman in cabin 7, remember, with sink or save assurance, your ship might be doomed, but your finances won't be. Sign up today and receive a free sun lamp, because you know, just in case. Sink or save assurance, because a touch of doom shouldn't sink your savings. Welcome back, folks. You're now entering the spoiler zone for The Last Voyage of the Demeter from 2023, which has earned three slashes and one hack. Now, we have a lot to unpack here, but before we dive into the specifics of our ratings, let's go through those kills. Well, we do get a total of nine kills in this film, which is a pretty decent kill count, I would say, especially for a Dracula film. I don't see, you know, getting a lot of kills in in various other Dracula films. And I'm curious to see what all your favorite kills are. I know I have mine, so I can't wait to hear them. Okay, listen, I got to just start it here. And I know it's going to be a Twilight reference. Shoot me, whatever. Toby got his ass snatched. And it was heartbreaking, and it was sad, and I felt really bad for him. But also the entire time, all I could think was, the Volturi are going to get Dracula's ass for making an immortal child. Okay. Okay. Yes. Okay, that hits only for one person in this audience. But seriously, it was so sad. And when you see that Toby sees Dracula, you think maybe he has seen Dracula before Dracula has seen him, and he's just lurking in the corners. And then he realized, no... No, he's lurking. He's up there. He's lifting him up. It's just so heartbreaking. Oh. But I kind of saw that coming. I kind of figured right off the bat, Dracula knows all. He knows all. And I was like, all right, well, he's at the corner. He's going to get him from the top. And it's game over. But really, we're talking about like the actual kill here. But the real, real sad part is like the real final kill of Toby. You know, like how heartbreaking Absolutely. Which is also kind of expected. You know, you kind of see it coming and who wouldn't in terms of a loved one wanting to like just grabbing onto any chance that perhaps they're still alive. But that kid was just burst into flames instantly. Absolutely. I mean, we should have seen it coming. Granted, I know because 2023 is really the year of fuck them kids. But still. It really is. I just realized. Oh, man. It sucks for Toby. Sorry, Toby. It does suck for Toby, and it's so on brand for me because that was the top of my kill list. It is tragic, that moment, you know, where you see his actual death with his grandfather, the captain, right? Like, coming up, like, seeing him move and not wanting to accept his death and lifting the sheet and, like, that whole thing of, like, this him attacking him and the sunlight burning him to death. Like, that wasn't that. It was purely the scene with Dracula that made it top-notch for me because... He's sitting there, you know, in that in that room, right? And Dracula, it's just the visual of them looking through into the room and you see Dracula, I think he's like standing up. He's standing up and you just that visual was so cool and then it's him like kind of lurking up on the ceiling crawling towards him. You see Toby's face looking up and the dread starting to form and then he gets snatched up and and you can and, Oh, you're like, is this going to happen? Are they going to interfere? Is this going to happen? And he does it. He bites his ass. He fucking bites Toby and starts sucking that fucker's blood. And, and then you get the visual of like the rosary dropping out of his hand. 
man, chef's kiss. I'm sorry. What they do with these kid deaths, it's top notch, and I'm here for it all fucking day. It's on brand for me, I know, but fuck it. Toby's top notch. It's really throwing back to the nun when the door says God ends here. Dracula didn't give a damn about that rosary. I just want to say that, like, if you're going to kill a kid, you better you better send it, you know? And I feel like it was sent. Did it meet Sean's standards? I think so. Yeah, it did. Nice. That's good. That's great. That's good. That's good. My favorite kill was Petrovsky. Actually, this is a great opportunity for me to also explain which part of the film that I was referencing to when I said, fuck that. It was Dracula coming out of that small little corner underneath the stairs, like slowly inching their way forward, crawling, because initially you don't actually think you see his head. Yeah. Or I don't even think you actually do. And then it's like slowly coming out of that corner, inching out of there. Fuck that noise. And you know what? If I saw that, it said I never understood this. Like if I saw that, I would be running in the opposite direction instantly. Nothing crawling out of any corner piques my interest. No, but it's it's the it's the crawling on the floor, jumping up in the air out of nowhere with the nail slice to the throat and the blood gushing on the floor and him just like going to the floor and like like sucking the blood off the floor. <laughs> That's what it was for that kill. Like that was oh man. Dracula was preserving every like little sliver of that blood. For sure. When he sliced the throat and it was just gushing out, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of wasted blood here. That seems a little bit odd for a vampire. And let me tell you, he was like, I'm not wasting a single drop of this. I will lick this shit right off the floor. And that's what he did. Yeah, he was really giving his best chupacabra. I want to go back to this finger licking good, like don't waste a drop kind of situation here. Because most vampire movies, it's all about the exsanguation and this movie was not about that and i appreciate that so much even a simple like bite kill was pretty awesome because it was a chunk it was like i'm just gonna rip your freaking throat out with my mouth and then i'll i guess i'll drink a little bit of blood too like that's cool um i i really appreciate about this type of dracula like it's it's really gross and intense and it almost seems like he doesn't even have to do it like he's not even taking all the blood there's a bunch of blood wasted just sitting in that body. It's just a whole full body of blood, and he's not even draining it completely. But whatever, you know, that's it's his meal. He gets to eat how he wants. So yeah, imagine Dracula as a human who just goes and buys a bottle of Coke from the vending machine, drinks two inches of it, and then it's just, the rest of it is just sitting there. That sounds like Nicolas Cage's Dracula. Oh no, it's really given like you're at the party and there's like some, there's just like some group of people that are just grabbing beer after beer after beer and then come to find out that they're just leaving like a quarter of the beer in there and then grabbing a new one. It's like, yo, finish your fucking beer because we all want beer too. You know what I mean? Like that's what it's kind of feeling right. But then they're like backwash. Ew. <laughs> and, well, yeah. Then, then you got the guy that's super fucked up that just goes around and pours the ends of the beer into a cup and then finishes that because there's nothing left to drink. Not saying that I do that by any means, but I have seen it done <laughs> and it's disturbing. It's disturbing. What if, okay, so he's like that person at the party who, who leaves that, you know, third of a beer left. But what if when he goes to drink the beer, he doesn't like crack it open. He freaking bites out the middle of the can. Ooh. And that's the Dracula that we get here where he's like, I'm going to literally just bite out your throat. Nice. Not, not leave two little marks on the side of your neck that are cute, almost like a little kiss mark. No, I'm going to just rip your throat out. Whether or not I drink blood afterwards, whatever. I'm, I had a little fun to get there. And so I, I appreciate that about him. 
I think my favorite kill here has got to be Olgarin because man, what a way to go. That was like so epic smashing his own face into a door to break the door open. And then his eyes are freaking popping out of his head and his head is just mutilated. His nose is squished into his uh, face. And that wasn't even the death. That's the craziest part. Okay. Listen. That is crazy. I was going to save this for favorite scene, but I'm going to use my backup favorite scene later. This motherfucker is the Michael Myers of this movie. Okay. He is banging his head against the wall like he's a deadite, which is impressive. But he was walking like him. And then he also just walked straight through that door like him. It was giving Halloween. He was giving it Michael Myers in a number of times when he's walking through wooden doors. But then also before any of this, when he is just lured up there and he is severely wounded and his blood is dripping down on Toby, it's Halloween 6, the curse of Michael Myers. When they kill the radio DJ, the radio DJ is strung up in the tree and his blood is falling on a little girl. And she thinks it's fake blood. She's like, oh, it's so cool. Why is it so warm? And then you realize, holy shit, that everything about O'Garen, so fucking cool. Yeah. So you got you got Halloween, Michael Myers out of that part in that scene. And I got head smashing into the into the door or whatever and then breaking through the door with his head and then sticking his bloody face through the door just a tad really giving jack nicholson in the shining i was just gonna say my friends literally after that happened he out loud said here's johnny breaking the door for sure the shining banging his head on the door to the bloodiness of it for sure, mom from Evil Dead Rise. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at that. White eyes and all. I, I did like how they used him as as like the way to show that, yes, we're sticking to the sunlight rule in a really cool explosive way. Because that dude went out when they when he was like strung to that post. And they have no idea this is going to happen. They don't know anything about vampires. And then just like, poof, he goes up in flames. That was epic. That was very, very impressive too. Visually as well, like that was a lot. They got they got into the detail of that fire for sure. Such trauma as well. God. I also want to talk about a little bit just as fucked up as this is when Toby combusts and his grandfather is holding on to him as his grandfather is also burning. Yeah. All I could think about later in the film. As things are going down and the captain is above deck, all that salt water on those fresh burns, that's got to be fucking miserable. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. Oh, my God. But the maybe cleaning. Maybe cleaning a little bit. So a little <laughs> cleanse. Yeah. He he suffered big time with those burns. That was incredible makeup work, without a doubt. But I will say, because, Sean, you're a stickler for the chapter— Correct me if I'm wrong. Technically, that's that's the shame in terms of his kill, though, because that he's technically like I understand that maybe the direction that they were supposed to go, but he was supposed to be found like stuck on this wheel on the captain's wheel, right? Like that wasn't giving the same vibe that it is from the chapter where it's like very like in, you're shocked. He's holding the crucifix in his hands, and it's like I don't know. I guess I envisioned when you're reading it, you're expecting like something in intense whereas when you're watching it in this film it's more like cathartic because of course you know it that's kind of the vibe that they went with this captain and the story that they were trying to tell with him especially with his grandchild right with toby so i understand the 
the distinction, but one of my gripes was that was like it would have been cool to still have that like ominous shock factor when people get on board and they see at least the captain mangled to that whole thing. Yes, yeah. that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. The ship comes flying in on its own, presumably, right on its own into the into the port and crashes onto the beach or whatever. And they got that chilling image of of him, the dead body strapped to it, right with the crucifix and all that and the way they depicted it in the novel. And that could have been such a chilling scene in the movie. And they chose to like, completely just say, eh, we're gonna do something else. Not only are we going to do something else, we're going to just straight up undo it. Yeah. Which feels a little more disrespectful. Oh, hold on, though. Really, really quick, because I know we're going to move on from from kills and whatnot. But I just want to say, with Toby, just going back to Toby, right? You know, at the scene where he dies, right? He ca- catches on fire, and then he gets thrown or goes into the ocean and starts sinking, I don't know. Did anyone else feel like there may have been like, like a maybe like a a chance that he might still be alive? Oh, for sure, big time, big time. Because like technically he combusted, but then you put him in water where the the fire but goes out. But it looked out. like his eyes were still there. Like his eyes were maybe moving. I don't know. It gave me like a little a little glimmer of like hope that he might still be alive. It was giving like vampire Lestat at the bottom of the ocean for a very long time. Vibe. So when you initially said that he might still be alive, I thought you were referencing while he was still under the sheet. Did you think he hadn't fully turned yet? And I was like, Oh no, absolutely not. Hell yeah. That motherfucker's alive. He's like, yeah. darling, it's better down where it's wetter. Take it from me. A hundred percent. He is vibing <laughs> down there. Under the sea. (laughs) Even more reason why if the sequel happens, don't be shocked if Toby comes through through the depths of the ocean. Immortal child, Toby. You never know. Damn it, Toby. It's giving Claudia. Yeah. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of the bottom of the ocean, my favorite visual in this movie is not the ocean, but it is the ship. So I think the ship was just so well done. What a beautiful freaking set they made out of it. And the level of detail, I don't know if it's right. I'm not nautical in any way, but it was like incredibly impressive. All the small little textures that they were able to add, everything felt like it's a real ship on the water. I don't know if, whether or not it is, but it definitely looks like it. And it felt like it. It felt dirty. When you saw those rats running across the floor, you looked at that floor and you're like, of course rats would run across that because that's a floor for rats. It felt so real. And then when you're on the actual like top part of the ship and you're on the deck and you're looking around at everything, they didn't like waste details. They had somebody manning that wheel. They had people up, you know, in the, in the, whatever those things are called in the sails. Again, I'm not a ship person. I like land, but it was impressive that they made use of like every part of that ship that they could. Yeah. I, I think the ship looked gorgeous. Like I think. I'm aligned with you 100% that the ship looked amazing. That's one of the stronger visual elements in the film, hands down. I think also like that, because that was my number one too, but if I have to think of like another visual element that I think was was really well done was just, you know, we talk about atmosphere and, and the things that the film was able to do. And I think kind of what they were able to bring in with the atmosphere of like, the dense or billowing fog coming in and and covering the ship in the night in the sea and all of that stuff and that that really carried those scenes 
and brought it really close to what I envisioned in the novel. And I put down like an excerpt from the novel right here in my notes. I'm going to read it really quick because it says, Masses of sea fog came drifting inland, white wet clouds which swept by in, which swept by in ghostly fashion so dank and damp and cold that it needed but little effort of imagination to think that the spirits of those lost at sea were touching their living brethren with their clammy hands of death, and many a one shuddered as the wreaths of sea mist swept by. That what they were able to do with some of the fog and some of the atmosphere of the ship in the night as as like Dracula was hunting his prey or you know trying to feed that night or whatever it was that is what i envisioned and i think they got really close in some of those scenes 1000% and one of the things that was just on my mind as you're describing that is going back to in the dark in the night one of his favorite quotes yeah. A hundred percent. But in my notes, so many times I wrote down, man, I love a foggy ocean. It just like, it, it's a special feeling to have this wind blowing by you, to hear the sound of the waves around you, and then to feel that mist on you. It's so spooky and eerie. And yet it's also so hauntingly peaceful. And I love seeing that and feeling that in this movie. What I think I love even more within the atmosphere is how they combine the two. So the darkness, the depth, uh, the, the fog, the mist, how they combine that with the beautiful set work that they did where they built that ship in two pieces. So those are like two sets that they are then filming on. So they did all of this and we then see how they use that depth to place Dracula strategically. I'm thinking about even a moment where he is lighting a match to try to light a lantern and we have Dracula lurking behind him. Absolutely stunning. The way that they work with these two things and then work with so much darkness and even the way that they designed, as much as I'm not a fan in some moments of the way that Dracula is designed, the design they chose for Dracula and how his ghostly skin sticks out in on the darkness of that night it's fucking haunting yeah definitely and you're bringing up obviously the darkness and whatnot but let's talk a little bit about how they play around with the light though like it it is such a contrast because even when they are in daytime it's so crisp it's bright and it sounds strange to say but it's almost like it's so beautiful during the day that it's almost like happy, at least, like, right? Like it, it's set in a way where everything is so bright. It's a great saturation of everything to literally contrast how dark and dreary it is when it comes nighttime. You can tell the difference completely, literally night and day. Um, so I definitely love that. Um, definitely happy to get into Dracula's design too because I think it's it's not what I expected at all but I'm not completely mad at it like I said thought the CGR was going to be a little strange but I agree with something that Max said much earlier which was like the trailer gave you know Dracula a little too much too early on so that's kind of why I was a little unsure of how CGI was going to play out but my favorite visual um, actually is technically a kill I would say we didn't bring her up, but Anna's kill, I think it was so beautiful. Just like how yeah. the sun is like the, again, the gradients, the colors, the sun is setting. 
it reminded me of, I don't know if you guys have seen this, Midnight Mass, another vampiric um, show. Mm-hmm. Not going to spoil it, but it is Midnight Mass vibes. So um, completely, if you know, you know. And it hit right into the soul. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And actually, talking about Anna a little bit more, there's also like close-ups of her face and it's angled in a certain way that it just gave like pure desperation to me. I loved how they kind of like just really leaned into her face at times and other characters too. Um, But yeah, what they were doing with Anna, it was serving for sure. Okay, listen, I said earlier that this movie reminds me of three things as it gets towards that ending. Okay. Two of them happened in this moment. Are we ready for this? Mm. Oh, okay. It's giving I'll Never Let Go Jack mashup yes. with Josh Hartnett 30 Reversed. Days of Night. 30 Days of Night. Like, it's those. It is Titanic in Alaska in one fucking movie in that moment. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, yeah. but I am saying I saw it. Damn, yep. Josh Hartnett. Look at you. Also, great movie. I, might, I might. I might. Rewatch that. I was just I was watching a lot of David Slade movies recently. Uh, one of my favorite Twilight movies is a David Slade. Maybe I'll do Thirty Days of Night and I'll kind of see that connection again because it's been a while since I've seen it. That's so funny. I just went through this whole process of rewatching Titanic with you know current events, and I could not stop thinking about that movie in this movie. <laughs> and I will say, yes, it did remind me of that too. I was like, man, they're hanging on by something much like you know similar in parameters of that door in titanic they are on warmer waters yeah. i would presume though i guess that's true maybe not even right but just you know the time of year it was this is in august that was in april it's just timing you know but still she yeah. had no excuse do better come on rose i think it's really funny that you unrelated but i think it's really funny that you brought up 30 days at night because i just had like a contractor here at my house who was like oh i just got back from vacation on this alaskan cruise and all this stuff and he's like oh, i would totally move there i love it and then my wife Ari was like well don't they get like a lot of like night right like you don't get like full days of sunlight and all that and he's like yeah depending on where you are in alaska or whatever and and i immediately chime in and i'm like have you seen that movie 30 days at night <laughs> Of course. <laughs> That's my only contribution to that conversation. I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> and also, I'd absolutely fucking live there. Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. We have mentioned that, or at least one of you have mentioned that they really loved the visual of Dracula, right? I think maybe it was you, Binks, right? You Granted, it was all CGI or whatever, but one of my favorite scenes in this film was that shot that you got i forget who was looking at him from the other end of the boat but when he when you get the shot of dracula at the other end of the boat and he stands up and spreads his fucking wings and does that screeching cry or scream or whatever it was that was such an epic moment that was such a I don't know. There was so much terror built and tension built in that moment that I was like, whoa, I was so captivated in seeing Dracula in that moment that I that, you know, no matter how much they overuse the visual of Dracula, that you got a lot of Dracula before you even watch the movie. That shot alone was so good. I think it's you're talking about like kind of towards the end when Clemens is giving his own like monologue type moment and it's like a showdown. It's like pouring rain. Yeah. Big time. Big time. Two things that popped into my head when I saw that. I and the terror that flaps in the night, Darkwing (laughs) Duck. Two, 
<laughs> fucking dark winged duck are you serious bro where do you get these things man where do you, oh, I love where, do, it. where does I love this come it. from like this is crazy joy is where it comes from binks it's okay it's so good <laughs> it's okay for me to feel these things binks don't shame me two was matt called it earlier the sire from what we do in the shadows honestly yeah. two great moments and i don't say this in a detrimental way but it's just more like damn that thing is terrifying it's kind of cool that we we have a Dracula that sticks to bat form, though. You know, I, I'm not a huge fan of how he looks in this movie, uh, except for when we see him not with his wings. I think those are actually really cool shots where he's like slithering almost. But yeah, I, I'm I'm happy though we do we don't see him like hitting it doggy style as a <laughs> werewolf, you know? Because <laughs> all right, we've seen that we've seen that in other places, right? We saw that in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, yeah, and it was completely unnecessary. And so yeah, I think. Even if I'm not a fan of the bat wings, I'd pref- I prefer it. Man, so maybe I'm the only one that likes his design. I mean, I just think because, yeah, I just expected it to be far worse. And I was like, well, this is looking like maybe, all right, let me be really, really truthful right now. It's that I'm coming off of just having watched Fright Night, both of them. And it's like, okay, and again, this isn't Dracula, but like, how many vampires or even like sometimes Dracula, we see that their monster form or whatever, their like true vampiric form is still super, still human-ish. And they just like full on made this thing into a monster, full on monster form. And I appreciated that. I like monster form. I like bat form Dracula. What I didn't like was the moments when he wasn't in full bat form, but then he was cuddling in the corner by himself, holding his arms in. It reminded me of The Descent, but not in a cool way. It reminded me of this idea of Nicolas Cage's Dracula kind of being reliant on Renfield, which obviously we know that Dracula is reliant on a familiar to bring him his food, etc. I get that. But it almost made him look pitiful in moments. And it did detract a little bit from that like menacing quality. But I think that needed to be there, though, because you need to also remember that he is a being to some extent, whether, you know, debatable in terms of Anna, which she's trying to explain, like, not a human, but not fully a monster, that whole bit. But, like, he is dependent on something. There has to be at least a little bit of a weakness that we need to see as an audience to fully believe that maybe perhaps these characters stand a chance, even though most of us know how this goes down, even when you see the beginning of the movie. But let's talk about like going back to him just standing there, because this is the scene that I thought you were going to mention, Sean, because it is with Clemens. My favorite scene is when he first sees Dracula, like first, first sees Dracula, and he's just standing in this like doorway, and it's such a fine like outline of him. I thought that was so cool. And then it introduces the callback from Toby explaining to Clemens about like the, the knocking on the wood. I don't know, just that whole bit. It was like, all right, we're establishing that this knocking stuff is going to come back and it's giving conjuring. So I'm here for it. You know, we've got that like, wow, is it something in the doorway? Is it not? Like, that's clearly not your friend, bro. And I think he's pretty established that since he was also spooked. Another great moment when he's looking at the spyglass. I didn't expect that at all. 
I mean, maybe I'm just letting buy into the cliche, but I think that whole scene, that whole establishing scene of like, all right, here we go. Dracula's coming in. It's our first day of night type of deal. Let's really see what happens. That gave me hope, honestly, though, when we saw the skinny little Dracula shadow, you can see the figure in the darkness. I was like, ooh, I am into this Dracula. It was ruined, of course, for me because I, I don't really prefer sometimes that we see everything always, but there were so many good moments where it was just the outline. It was just the shape. When we get that flash through the broken door of them just staring at his face, brilliant, right? Like we didn't have to see anything too crazy. It was just like the full realization that this thing is real was, was amazing. But I love that when they're like, they, they know something is wrong. They haven't talked to each other about it. And then, you know, he gets accused of, you know, lying about seeing it, but that off in the distance kind of feeling where it's like signs where the aliens up on the roof, such a beautiful, brilliant use of not showing you everything. Like, please do more of that. Do that the entire time. I loved it so much. Yeah. I think my favorite scene is more like a moment though. And it's when the captain is talking to Wojciech, we're towards the end and he lets him know that you would have been a great captain. And it, it kind of comes out of nowhere, right? Cause it's like, at this point, they're not really talking like that yet, but he's obviously had that realization that it's game over and there's nothing that's going to come from this. And I think the actor who plays Wojciech is, is able to like show on his face a little subtlety where he's like, well, wait a second. But then he's like, oh shit, you're right. Which I think it's that exact type of moment to show the full journey that these characters have been on. And isn't it wild that this shit always happens when it's someone's time to be a couple days away from retirement? <laughs> it sucks. You make it your whole career, then Dracula fucking lands on your boat, right? Really sucks. But I think the tenacity and, and the way that resilience is tested on these men and, and on Anna, A, let's just talk about the dynamics of that group in general. You have people who are hardened people, right? They are shaped by the roughest seas that they've been on. And then there's this platitude, this phrase that says, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. And these guys are fucking rough, right? Yeah. So you know they've been through some shit. They've seen some shit. You see a character in the beginning who's like, nah, you didn't say anything about dragons. I'm out of here. And so I think it really sets a really great tone here. And the more that you go on, the more that you see they're losing themselves, they're paranoid. But I do agree, Sean, that it's not to the extent that I think it could have been to really sell that even more. We got some characters I liked, but they could have done more here. Yeah, they definitely could have done more with the characters. I, I will say, though, one character that I enjoyed a lot that was an addition was Clemens. And he was a focus of the movie. He was the main character, right? And I think Clemens did a phenomenal job. I think they incorporated him into the story at ease. Like, I didn't feel like it was out of place, really, as as I was watching the film, no, even knowing in the back of my head that this was not a character that was featured in the novel. I, did, I just really enjoyed what he brought to the table throughout the movie and what he was able to bring as far as, like, everything that was kind of happening throughout the movie and how they centered it around him. It just felt almost natural in a way. So I was really happy what they did with Clemens. Uh, alternatively, though, when you look at someone else they added, like Anna, I feel like Anna just didn't need to be there at all. Like, I get it. She was in there. Like, she, th th it gave some backstory 
she gave a little bit of uh, like a piece to the puzzle, right? All of that stuff. But I don't think it really added to the movie. I think if you, if you subtracted Anna out of the film, it still would have been the same film. So I don't know. I don't know, man. If you didn't have Anna, she wouldn't have shot the fucking door and then they never would have got to Toby. Anna was doing some shit. She was making some people very capable and pulling some strings here, providing the lore and then also being the scapegoat that people blame. I really loved Anna. Hmm. Yeah, I was actually going to say I loved Anna, but also because once again, we are proven that men are not listening to this woman. If you had listened to this woman from the beginning, all of you would have been alive. But because, alas. Wait, would they have though? Sure. Yeah. Is there anything they could have she done? She talks about stopping in port. port. Yeah, stopping in port immediately. Now, nah, but we got to get that coin. All right, well, die. Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess yeah. That's pride true. cometh before yeah, the yeah, fall. Yeah. That's true. I mean, you gotta you gotta stay hungry. You gotta hustle. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, a good captain, honestly, shit's going down like that would have just stopped in port anyway. But you know. Yeah, I did. I did like Anna. I did appreciate that. Although I will say, I was kind of. I don't know. I was surprised and also not about her character because I figured, of course. I, I mean, I saw the trailer. And I had an idea of like, all right, well, I guess he does like feed. And again, maybe we could really twist this in terms of how Dracula is and the hopeless romantic, like he's kept his wives, right? Like, you know, has kept this woman around to feed on her and the sustenance that I thought that maybe in some crazy way, I was like, are they going to have more women in these freaking crates? But I guess not, Mm. which is also okay, because I what are we going to do? A whole horde of women are just like just chilling in these boxes until they wake up suddenly yeah it's the women that predate lucy from the novel Mm -hmm. yeah can you imagine though being like just stored in that box and then just being you know just you know you're just getting fed on and then just shoved back into whatever you know what i mean like that just feels that takes that takes buried to the next level like that movie Buried that we talked about recently with Ryan Reynolds? Like that that's Buried yeah. Buried. Yeah. You're buried and then unburied to be fed on and then buried again. It just doesn't sound like a great time. Mm-mm. I don't know. Nah. So I want to take a, a quick moment to shout out the actor that plays Wojciech, uh, David Dasmalkian, I believe that's how you say his last name. I want to say that 2023 is his year. I'm going to make that declaration right now. We've seen him already in boogeyman we've talked about him in boogeyman he was also in boston strangler that was like a i think it went direct to streaming with Kieran knightley oppenheimer and i promise i yeah. won't bring it up again but you know how i feel about that movie and then also ant-man and the wasp this man is rolling in the dough and it's august so who knows just saying just saying i saw him and i, I did one of those moments like that leonardo dicaprio meme where you're just like pointing at the screen and you're like hey because I guess I didn't recognize him in the trailer. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy again? He's in everything. Good for him. And he did not have a bad accent, which was fantastic. And he did not? Yeah, he didn't have a bad accent. I, he was doing a great job. I, I hope the best for him. It was a good job for sure. I also want to just highlight for just a brief second Joseph, because I think in the novel they just refer to the cook, and and they really had to – elaborate a little bit more to bring the cook as in joseph to life which i thought was great and joseph added just enough of just like a 
kind of like a bright comedic value to the film that I thought was really well done and, and well placed. And even, even when we look at his kill, right. Cause we didn't talk about his kill, but even thinking about him, he's like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm out. I'm going to grab this boat and I'm gone. And he thinks he's, you know, he's, he's just the smartest one out there. He's rowing his way away from the boat. And all of a sudden, boom, Dracula just flaps his wings and lands on the back of his boat. And that's it for him. But I just thought, you know, it was a nice touch to elaborate a little bit more, bring that character to life with literally nothing to go off of. And I think it's, again, it's that realistic part I was talking about in terms of the characters and what they bring. Like, you're going to have someone that's, like, really leaning into, uh, like, their religion and that whole lore of demons and, and, and the devil and like sinning and all that. I don't know. I just, for the time that this is set, it makes sense that there was going to be someone that was thinking that way. Did it have to be him? I don't know, but I'm glad that someone, I guess, had that element to them. Do want to make a comment about his kill? Cause you're right. We didn't talk about it. I love how Dracula was so polite enough to return the boat back though. He was like, let me just send this back to you guys. Just so you're aware. <laughs> let me just show you that there's literally no escape. Yeah. Let me make myself abundantly clear. Since you probably can't understand the words that I'm saying, since I have like this weird little vibe when I talk, but I'm going to make, I'm going to show and tell. May I just say though, that even as baffling as the decision is to hop on those lifeboats as their big exit strategy, the worst part of this movie for me was, you mentioned it, Binks, the sound. I cannot wait to revisit this movie at a point where I can watch it with captions and subtitles because I still don't fully have all of the last monologue that he had as he was showing down with Dracula. There's a lot of moments in this movie where I feel like there's some really key dialogue that my ears just couldn't understand. Some of it is with the sound design and the way that, that was balanced. Other parts of it are just maybe my hearing but that is something that really was a pain point for me here. Yeah, definitely can't wait to do closed captioning a thousand percent. <laughs> My worst part is actually the ending and the parts where I think we're all kind of on the same page-ish where we're like holding back laughter. Because I think for me, it is the moments of like, oh, here we go again. This is definitely going to be a sequel, but you're approaching it very cheesy. And like, why is Dracula, like, I understand why Dracula is caressing my neck and like making it clear that he is just as much onto you as you are onto him because he hurt you. But it was giving a little much too much sensuality. And I was like, ooh, sir, what's going on here? It was the weird like teaser of like yeah we know that that's dracula there but why are you like making it in a, in a sense where like should i be anticipating gary oldman like should i be anticipating nicholas cage like what are, <laughs> what are you about to show me right now this is strange i don't know it was it was such an odd like final final ending to set up this whole like you know clemens is gonna go get dracula you know it it kind of like cheapens it just a smidge Almost reminded me of yeah. like a CW kind of situation. I mean, that might be dramatic, but around the vein of that. And this is where I have a third movie reference, which okay. is still debating which movie it is, but it is like insert this category of movie here. Actually, no, I take that back. I think it's going to be TV show. It's going to be Smallville. It is Clark Kent becoming Superman. And I felt like this was just 
him turning into a superhero like now you know my origin story i'm gonna go hunt dracula except you don't know who i am because i'm just a fresh addition here uh, okay why did, okay why why what i want to know is why did you say smallville specifically because i'm just thinking just about the, the vibe image. of that i'm thinking of the image yeah. of clark kent finally we finally see him ripping his white shirt and oh, he gets into yeah, his superman see- logo and that's what that moment felt like i was originally gonna say batman because that felt very appropriate with bats but then i was like no there's not a single batman movie i can think of that ends the way that i'm thinking and it is smallville mm. yeah mm. i i can see that reference that vibe that kind of match I, I was thinking along those terms, but I was thinking origin story for, like, Van Helsing. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. That's literally, yeah. as soon as I saw, well, as soon as I realized that people were going to live, because nobody lives in the book on this chapter. Like, no one survives this this voyage. Um, and, and as soon as I realized that people, one, were going to live and, and Clemens was going to be one of the survivors. And then we get that scene afterwards in the tavern or whatever. And he says the line of like, I'm going to, you know, hunt you down or whatever he says. Like that for me was like, okay, is this just, is this just Clemens turning into Van Helsing? Is that what's happening here? As long as it's a Van Helsing, who's not an angel who turns into a werewolf. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. Because what was that? <laughs> For sure. <laughs> it did seem like a strange choice like to end things that way though, because sure, he survives. He makes it to he makes it to England. Great. That's the end of the movie. Like let's move on. Maybe he's always looking over his shoulder. Great. Let's move on. To make him run after him in the night down the alley. If you're not going to make a sequel, that was just weird and if you are going to make a sequel, why? It is that. Like, this movie could have ended with the cane knocking and the hand on the cane without even having to see that is literally Nosferatu Dracula with a fucking top hat on. I would actually run it even further back, just the knocking, and leave it at that. I don't need to do the hand on the cane because it's also giving a little bit of Marvel. Like, leave it be, dude. Leave it be. I don't. I, I just don't understand why there would need to be a sequel to this regardless because it's like you already achieved something with the chapter that you were given. There's no need to go ahead and franchise this. We know how this goes. Clemens is not in this story. And should he be? Maybe. I don't know. But like, right. It is giving Van Helsing and it's it's weird. It's not. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I, I will tell you, like the best part of the film for me, and I know I've talked about it a little bit overall, but it's just the the way the film looked and the, and the ambiance, the set design, the atmosphere, it was visually very beautiful to watch. It really played off of the darkness and the shadows and the use of the fog and, and all of that with the dimly lit ship at, at night and the things like that. Like all of that was probably for me the best part because it got so close to what I envisioned in the actual novel as I was reading the novel is specifically obviously around this chapter. Um, so I think well done there. You know, I was, I was just wanting to touch on one thing. Like if, if we're going to talk about what really made or broke this film for me, it's really just the use of, it's not that all the characters are bad because a lot of the things they did with the characters were really good. Even some of the additional characters that weren't part of the initial storyline were really good. It's just what they chose to specifically leave out of the film 
that that kind of ruined it for me and what and the direction that they went in right like if you're gonna if you're gonna take away we talked about it earlier take away the captain's death uh the way that he died in the novel man i don't know about it and if you're gonna and if you're gonna end the film with survivors i don't know about it like i i want to see the hopelessness at the end of that story i want to see the mystique of that story i want to to see what the feelings of the people in that town were feeling as they saw this happening the way they depicted it in the novel of the of the townspeople watching this this storm happening and watching this ship you know roll in and finding this horrific event and this dead body attached to it and and finding the logs or the note in the in the glass bottle or whatever and and really just just getting a glimpse of what happened you know they just went in some directions that i don't think they needed to go in and they took away things that i don't think they should have taken away and i think it's those specific things that ruined it for me wow i mean i i still respect the fact that like you know enough to be able to feel strongly about it because i feel bad for not for not having read the novel you know i don't even know the details I didn't even know this existed until we talked about until we started Listen, talking about this movie. One does not simply be called the classic horror connoisseur and then not come prepared to feel the way he feels. <laughs> yes, that's Wait, true. Now that's, you got to compliment it. So good luck. True. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm going to stick to my worst part being Dracula's design, and I actually really like pretty much the rest of the movie. I think Dracula's design is weird because it's so good in several parts, the type of good that I enjoy where he's in the shadows or where he's like slinking around or when he's, when he's mostly humanoid, I think that's when I really appreciate Dracula. I really, I really like the spots where you can't fully see him or where you can only see a a part of him. But when we get the full wings out Dracula, like flying through the air, I think that's the part where I wasn't really into the design. And I think it was ruined because it happened super early on that we see him almost in entirety like within like 15 minutes of the movie starting, which is crazy to me. Um, but I think it's only worsened by the fact that they chose to show so much of Dracula in the trailer. Because if you're like me and you like to watch trailers, you get kind of hyped up for stuff. You're like, oh, so basically I've seen the movie now. Thank you so much. That kind of ruined everything. But even if you haven't seen it and you're 10, 15 minutes in and you see everything going on with Dracula when it's not a regular human looking Dracula, it's kind of a, it's kind of a letdown, but it's only worsened by the fact that we have that flying version of him in my book. But do you think that experience is enough to prevent you from ever watching this again? You feel like it sullies the experience? I don't think it does. I think it was still a really enjoyable movie to watch. And I'm actually curious about your suggestion of inserting it into Bram Stoker's Dracula Mm. from 1992. I think that would be really ridiculous in terms of the time it would take to watch it, but also kind of interesting give me machete order dracula and we can figure this shit out and then have you know have renfield be like a sequel Ugh. modern day oh my gosh god <laughs> you know we're talking about where to put this film in terms of you know bram stokers and all that but like i would definitely watch this movie again without a doubt would love to do a dracula marathon but probably not anytime soon because we're already doing the Dracula marathon. It feels like right now. So I'm going to put a pin in it after this year, maybe 
not next October, maybe the following. I don't know. Stay tuned. But I will watch this movie again because I inter- I was highly entertained and I think it would be a good fit in terms of watching all the other Draculas that are out there. Yeah, it's tough. I don't know. Could I rewatch this movie? Maybe, but probably not. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of a, of a situation or a scenario where I feel like watching a Dracula film and this one pops up in my head as, as something that I actually want to watch when I want to get my Dracula fill. If I'm going to watch Dracula, of course, I'm going to go 1922 Nosferatu, 1931 Dracula, even Horror of Dracula with Christopher Lee. Like Those are ones that I really enjoy watching. This one, I don't know. I mean, I might find myself watching it again, but I just can't see myself at this time ever wanting to watch this when I feel like watching a Dracula movie. So I guess time will tell. We'll see if it's whenever it comes back around for me. I don't know. Well, you know, Sean, I'd like to think that sounds promising, but I think we can just call it there. It is what it is. I think one of the most exciting things about this is to get to hear your perspective from a deep love and admiration for Dracula and all the many ways you have ties to it. You know, it it seems only appropriate and fitting that The Last Voyage of the Demeter from 2023 has three slashes, but one hack from the classic horror connoisseur. Now, we certainly had a robust discussion here, but this doesn't end here by any means. We want to know what you think. Did you think this movie did great with the source material or disgraced Dracula like Sean thinks? Let us know. You can join in on the conversation by hanging out with us for free in our Discord. Click the link in our show notes to sign up. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, consider becoming one of our patrons. Visit patreon.com slash hacker slash to enjoy more of the show with early access, extended episodes, bonus content, and live shows. We'll see you next time, folks. And remember, sometimes things go wrong, no matter what we promise. And I've decided this is to be my final voyage. Thank you.